0: good morning everybody everybody doing all right this morning come on this is the first weekend of June it's gonna be warm and sunny day everybody doing all right today Amen. (laughs) good to see you in church this morning thank you so much for being here I believe God's gonna do some good stuff in our lives today. I think he's already gotten started how many are grateful for his presence so good to worship together this morning so grateful. Also, we want to let you know how grateful we are that you are here with us today, especially if you're here for the very first time. If you're new to the bridge, if you're newer to the bridge, if you're brand new today, or maybe you've been around for a little while and you're just now finding home and finding your way around this place, we just want to welcome you this morning and say thank you so much for being here today. It's an honor to host you, an honor to have you in church with us today. We would love to help you get connected if you want to get connected, if you want to find out more about how it is that you can make the bridge your home church and get plugged in here. We wanna help you, so let me just give you a personal invitation. My name is Zach and I'm one of the pastors here at the bridge we would love to meet you right after this service at the info center as soon as you walk out this first set of exit doors to your right the info center is right there we have a team that serves there they're there to answer your questions tell you more about everything that's going on in the church and if we can help you in any way that's why we're there so we want to help you find home here at the bridge and also there's a connect card that's on the seat back in front of you on one of those seat backs on the aisle that you're sitting at you can grab that connect card and if you want to get more plugged in and just find home here at the bridge there might even be one of those boxes on that connect Card that applies to you. If you want to check it, we would be happy to help you in any way that we can. It's a fine home here in the church. So thank you so much for being here today. And if you're a regular here at the Bridge, would you join me this morning? Why don't we welcome all of our guests to church today? Awesome. Hey, Pastor Gary and Pastor Anne are in Scotland this weekend. Pastor Gary is not wearing a kilt. He wanted me to make that very, very clear. He refuses to do that, but they are ministering this weekend with our good friends, uh, Pastor Bernie and Nan, and I think we actually have a couple of photos of him preaching up there, and he's actually ministering this weekend at the Bridge Church there in Scotland. So. Keep them in your prayers. I know that they would appreciate that as they minister, that God would use them in a strong way. But not only that, pray for traveling mercies as they come home in just uh, three or four days. And then Pastor Gary will be here on Sunday bringing the word again next Sunday. So keep them in your prayers. And we're really, really grateful for the opportunity that they have to go and minister this weekend. Before we get into God's word, would you join me in prayer today? Father, we thank you that we are your people. And when we come into your house, we can get into your word and be encouraged in your ways. This morning, God, we submit our ways to you. We submit our will to you. We ask that your kingdom would come in our lives and in your church the same way that it is in heaven and your will would be done as well. We submit all these things to you, God, because we know that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are greater than our thoughts. So we surrender our lives, our minds, our hearts to you that you would change us, renew us, transform us more into the image of Christ today during this time. In Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Well, before we get into the message this morning, I thought that I would come up with some sort of clever title. This is the best thing I could come up with. This is going to be the first, like I said, the first weekend of June. It's supposed to be nice and warm. So the title of this message today is A Day at the Pool. A Day at the Pool. If you got your Bible, would you meet me in John chapter 5 this morning? I want to read from John chapter 5 and go back and look at a very famous story in the Bible. I'll start reading this morning from verse 2. It says in John five now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five porches. It's really uh, important to know if you're someone that's curious about like Bible history, Bible archaeology. This was something that actually wasn't discovered for centuries, so a lot of people didn't know if this was a figurative thing or if it was a literal place. But I believe it was in the late 1800s, early 1900s. It was actually excavated the Pool of Bethesda, and just like John wrote, having five porches. And it was believed that there were like these covered patio type things that were over each one of these porches, which served as an entry point for sick people who hung out at the pool of Bethesda to get into the water. So it was a real place that's been identified, and now you can see it in Jerusalem today. Verse 3 says, in these, in this pool, and in these, these uh, entries into the pool, there lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting For the moving of the water. And here's why in verse 4 For an angel went down at a certain time. Now, when it says a certain time, if you go back and you read throughout scripture, if you read uh, Bible historians, we don't know how often this would happen. It was unpredictable. The frequency at which this happened, nobody really knew. But what we knew was that from time to time, an angel would come. It says in verse 4 An angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then, After the angel stirred up the water, whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease they had. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him there and knew already he had been in that condition for a long time, Jesus said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered Jesus saying, "Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another person steps down before me." And Jesus said to him, "Rise, take up your bed and walk." And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. Now, before we keep going here with the message today, I just want to take a moment and I want to ask a question. Now, here's the th- here's the thing. This is church, so when I ask this question, you got to tell the truth, okay? because this is something that some of you might not want to admit to, others to you, it's not a big deal at all. And I'll explain why in just a moment. But how many people would raise a hand and say that at least at one point in your life you have ever purchased a lottery ticket? Some of you purchased like 10 yesterday, okay? (laughs) It's okay. No shame. I mean, I'm not endorsing the lottery. Now, let me just stop right there and throw out the disclaimer now, okay? I recognize that there are many, many Christians who their conviction in their heart is, you know, that's probably not the best stewardship of the resource that God has given me. So therefore, they don't participate in playing the lottery. Others might look at it as gambling. I totally understand those convictions. I respect that. So let me make it very clear. I'm not endorsing you play the lottery, okay? But the reason I ask that question is because when I was younger, like 18, 19, 20 years old, I played lottery all the time. I bought lottery tickets all the time. And why do you play the lottery? Because you want to win the jackpot, right? And what's funny about it is that a lot of us will go and we will buy lottery tickets even though we know the odds are severely stacked against us that we'll ever win. I gotta be honest, when I was younger, when I would buy lottery tickets, my habit of doing it was kinda like this. When I say habit, not like I was addicted to playing the lottery or something. But what I would usually do was I would spend $1 or $2 or $5 on a lottery ticket, hoping that I won the jackpot, right? Because that's why you buy a lottery ticket. But what's funny about it was like, I remember meeting people that would spend like 100 bucks on a lottery ticket. And you know what I learned? is that just because you spend $100 or $200 or $500 on a lottery ticket doesn't mean that suddenly your odds of winning are good because your odds of winning are really bad. Not just really bad, your odds of winning are astronomically bad, like terribly bad. Do you wanna know how, just, how bad they are? I did some research on this this week. Now listen to this and stay with me for just a minute. If you play the California state lottery, if you go and you buy one super lotto ticket, just one, it cost a buck, you can buy, I think, two different days out of the week. If you buy one of them, your odds of hitting the jackpot are 1 in 41,416,353. Now, if your odds of winning were 1 in 416,353, those would still be terrible odds. Now throw 41 million on top of that, and that's how astronomically bad your chances of winning the lottery are. Now, here's the funny thing. We know that the odds of us winning are bad, yet we still buy a ticket. And then a few years ago, things began to change, and a lot of people stopped playing the Super Lotto. Why? Because a better jackpot came along in this thing called the Mega Millions. Because who wants $20 million when you can have like $250 million? But, and here's what's funny about this, right? The Mega Millions is not something that's limited to the state of California. It's a shared lottery with other states. So we see that number of like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get like a quarter of a billion dollars if I get the right number. But what we don't realize is that because there are more people playing, that's why the number has gotten so large. Do you wanna know what your odds of winning the Mega Millions are? If you buy one Mega Millions lottery ticket, your odds of winning are one in 302 million 575,350, that's terrible. Those are terrible odds, astronomically bad odds. Do you want to know just how bad those odds are? You have incredibly better odds of getting struck by lightning. (laughs) Because the odds of you getting, or me, getting struck by lightning are one in 700,000. Do you want to know why the odds are so much better? Because you could actually make that happen if you wanted to. You can put out the old lightning rod, stand there you know, in the middle of the rainstorm and make that happen. In fact, the odds have gotten better because a lot of dumb people have done it. <laughs> and since they've done it and somehow gotten struck by lightning, your odds are now so much better because it's actually happened to other people. Now, I remember a few years ago going to 7-Eleven with my brother. And my brother was here last weekend visiting from Seattle. And we were in 7-Eleven, I was probably 19 or 20 years old went, picked up a few things, would go up to the counter to pay for our stuff, and I looked at the lady behind the counter and I said, and I would also like a couple of lottery tickets, and I handed over a couple of bucks. And my brother looks at me and he says, you're not really buying lottery tickets, are you? And I said, sure, why not? He goes, that's a waste of money. And I said, well, I understand what you're saying. He goes, no, dude, you're not gonna win. And I said, well, I understand, but here's the thing. It only costs me $2 to play, and even if I lose, I'm willing to part with this $2. I'm not spending $100 or $500 on lottery tickets, it's two bucks, if I don't win, I don't win. But here's the thing, and I told my brother, his name is Zane, I said, look Zane, somebody's gonna win, so why not throw my name in the hat? Right? And he's like, it's a waste of money, it's a bad investment. And I said, okay, I get that, I understand it, but it's only $2, but here's the thing, if I lose, I only lost two bucks. But if I win, you're gonna look at me and say, that's the best financial decision you ever made in your life. (laughs) And not only that, you're gonna hope that I share the money with you, aren't you? (laughs) And I remember we had this funny laugh about the whole scenario. Now, I don't say all that to encourage anybody to go and buy lottery tickets, okay? That's up to you what you wanna do. But the reason why I say it, is because that whole scenario of odds being stacked against you is something that I absolutely see when I think about this paralyzed man who sat or laid, more specifically, by the pool of Bethesda. Can you imagine how this guy felt like the odds were stacked against him that anything would ever change in his life? A lot of Bible scholars believe that this guy was most likely paralyzed, but what we know is at the very least, he was crippled, unable to walk, unable to move, unable to take care of himself for at least 38 years. Years We don't know if he was born that way or if it happened sometime later in life, but this man had dealt with this infirmity for 38 years. Imagine how helpless this guy felt. But there's a word that gets around that there's one way in which somebody who in his condition who is in his condition, can be made whole or healed. And it's if you can get yourself to the pool of Bethesda, occasionally, we don't know when, it happens from time to time, it's totally unpredictable, an angel comes down and touches the water and begins to stir that water. And when the water stirs, when it begins to bubble up, the first person who reaches down and touches it is healed, except this guy had an even bigger problem beyond that. Not only could he not get to the pool of Bethesda, he needed someone to take him there. But then once he got there, he was not able to move. So he couldn't just get up, even if the waters were to begin stirring, and get into the water. He needed someone to pick him up and put him in. And even if that happened, it was very likely that someone who might have been in a little bit better condition than him got into the water first, so therefore if he came in second, third, or fourth, he didn't get the healing he was hoping for. The picture I see in my mind is that this paralytic, or at the very least, this crippled man, probably laid by the pool of Bethesda, feeling as though he was playing the healing lottery. The odds are stacked against me. It's probably never going to happen. It's been like this for 38 years, and there's no good reason to think that anything is ever going to change. Why do I keep coming back to this pool? Well, I keep coming back to this pool because I've heard that some people get healed. But the odds of it happening to me seem so incredibly unlikely. I don't know why it would ever happen. Does God see me in this condition? Does God know what's going on? I come back here time and time again. I have someone bring me, try to help me in, but it never seems to go my way. It's like my prayers or my desire to be healed are like these lottery tickets to God that I throw up and hope I just hit the jackpot. When you're in a situation like that, it has to feel like God is so far off and God is so distant and God is so impersonal. What's amazing to me is that as I go through life, and I'm not just preaching to you today, I'm preaching to me today. I need to make that very clear because God's been dealing with me on some things that brought me to this place of bringing this message today. But as I talk to you today, it occurs to me that there are many of us as Christians that go through life feeling like our prayers and the things that we are believing God for are nothing more than God lottery tickets. We're just hoping we hit the jackpot when it comes to the things that we need. I wanna tell you today that God doesn't want you to go through life feeling as though he's distant and as though he's far off. God doesn't want you to look at the things that you don't have and the things that you need for him to provide for you as though you'll only be lucky to ever access and grab hold of them. God wants you to know that he sees you where you are, he knows what's going on in your life and he wants to personally be involved and and be active in the middle of your situation. Amen? Amen. Amen? 38 years in that condition. Many of us as Christians oftentimes view our prayer life and the things that we need from God the same way. We simply hope that we are the lucky ones today. Maybe God will hear our prayers, we'll hit the jackpot, and God miraculously somehow will give us the thing that we need in life. But what if God is actually closer than we realize? What if God actually cares more about us than we realize? What if God not only sees what we need, but he wants to give us the things that we need in this life? What if? What would we be willing to do? Look again at verse 6 because I believe that the story illustrates how much God wants to personally be be, uh, involved in our life. Look at verse 6. Scripture says that Jesus is walking into Jerusalem, walking by the pool of Bethesda, and and the word says that Jesus saw the man lying there, And he knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. Scripture said earlier on that there was multitudes of people that were sick that had all kinds of physical imperities, that they would come to this pool hoping that they would be the ones who could get into the water first. Don't you know that this guy dealing with that sickness for 38 years probably felt as like God did not even know what was going on in his life? And as he lay by the pool, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, Jesus looks down and of all the people laying there, Jesus picks him out. And scripture specifically says that Jesus saw him and knew the condition that he had been in. I wanna say to everybody that's here this morning, you might be in a place in your life where you have been dealing with challenges that you feel like you cannot overcome. You might be dealing with impossibilities, you might be dealing with terrible, terrible circumstances. You might have had a sentence put over your life or things said about you that feel like you are never going to be able to get past or overcome. But I want you to know this morning, God sees where you are, He knows what's going on in your life, and not only that, He wants to be actively involved in every single detail. Can somebody put their hands together and praise God? that He cares about us that much. See anytime we feel like we're a lost cause, God sees the condition of our lives. Anytime we feel as though things will never change, Jesus wants to give us a new opportunity. Every time we feel as though we are unable to help ourselves, Jesus wants to meet us in the middle of our insufficiency with His sufficient grace. Now. It's important that we take a moment and we look at some scripture that help us to understand this. And I want to say this right out front before we move forward with the rest of this message. You might be here today, and as we've just talked about this man in John chapter 5, this paralyzed man, this crippled man, you might be saying to yourself, okay, this message is about healing. I'm not at a place where I'm facing a physical impossibility, so I don't know if this implies to me. I want to show you in just a moment that there are a lot of things, a lot of different kinds of sicknesses that we can allow to come in and take root in our lives that God never intended for us to carry. I'm gonna talk more about that in just a moment, but it's really important that we understand a couple of things. See, Jesus went to the cross so that we could be saved, we could be forgiven of our sins, we could be cleansed white as snow. But that's not the only thing that Jesus went to the cross for. One of the most familiar passages of scripture that predicted or prophesied what Jesus would do when he came to this earth is found in Isaiah chapter 53. I wanna read a little bit to you from Isaiah 53 because this is the passage that prophesied how our sins would be atoned for. But the atonement of our sins is not the only thing that Isaiah prophesied when he talked about Jesus. This is what he had to say, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Isaiah said these words, surely he, talking about the coming Messiah who would come, he has borne our griefs, that's not just talking about our sins, that's talking about the griefs we would carry in life, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. That's a picture of Jesus on the cross taking on the sin of the world. And then verse 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. That all right there is talking about our sins and our rebellion and how we were forgiven. We were atoned at the cross. But look at the second half of verse 5. The chastisement for our peace, Jesus bought our peace. It was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus also bought our healing at the cross. See, that passage of scripture for so many Christians, we look at that and we say, well, bless God, that was the prophecy that talked about the atonement of my sins and how Jesus would go to the cross so that I could be forgiven. And that's true, but guess what? Jesus went to the cross and provided so much more. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross so that your griefs and your sorrows would be carried on his shoulders and not yours. Jesus went to the cross so that you could have peace, not wondering about what tomorrow might hold. Jesus went to the cross so that you could access everything else that you would need in this life. Now, I wanna ask a question real quick. How many people here today would raise a hand and say, I am a Christian, I am a follower of Christ? Come on, bold, nice and bold. Say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. While you got your hands up, do you believe that Jesus went to the cross as the atonement for your sin? Then why don't we always believe that everything else that he paid for is available to us also? Now please hear me for a second, because I recognize there are so many of us that come from a lot of different backgrounds, and I'm not here to try to mess with your theology. I'm not here to try to tell you that you've been taught something that's wrong. It's between you and God what you wanna believe. But what I, what I see in scripture is that Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about the atonement for my sins, but there's so much more that comes along with the package. And when we talk about what Jesus did for us so that we could be forgiven, we could have a life with Christ, we could have eternity that's secure in him, we look at that and we say, well, praise God, but then we turn right around and say, but I could never be made well. I could never live my life in peace. It's always gonna be like this. I'm always gonna have fear. I'm always gonna have worry. I'm always gonna have grief. I'm always gonna have anxiety. I'm always gonna have depression. I'm always gonna have these challenges and it feels as though nothing is ever gonna change because when I ask God to take those things away, it's kind of like I'm buying lottery tickets, hoping I win the jackpot. I want you to know God doesn't want you to live your life that way. God didn't intend for you to live your life that way. Let me say it this way. Jesus did not go to the cross so that you could live your life that way. I'm getting excited this morning. Jesus bore our griefs so that we would not have to live under the weight of anxiety and fear. Jesus carried our sorrows so that we would not have to live with depression or mental and physical pain. Jesus took the punishment to purchase our peace so that we wouldn't be burdened with the fear of what tomorrow holds. And Jesus took stripes upon his back that bought our healing so that we wouldn't be crippled by sickness and disease anymore. And I'm so thankful to God that Jesus gave me salvation at the cross, but I'm even more thankful that he gave me so much more and made available so many other things that we would need. Can I tell you something? At the cross, Jesus didn't just give you the things that you need to survive. Jesus provided the things that you need to thrive in life. He wants you to be more than a conqueror. He wants you to be an overcomer. And we say sometimes that we believe those things, but we don't always see them come to manifest in our lives. Let me give you a little bit further scriptural evidence. This is what the psalmist said in Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and listen to this. And forget not all his benefits. How many people know that there are other benefits that come along with what Jesus did on the cross? Stay with me for a moment. I'm not just talking about physical healing this morning. We're going to get to this. In verse 3 says, He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Can I tell you something? Jesus wants to have his loving kindness and mercy available to you every single day of your life. His mercies are new every single morning and you have access to them in your life. Verse five says, He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So much that's made available to us because of what Jesus did at the cross. salvation is great, but why stop at salvation when Jesus provided so much more? So here's this man laying by the pool, feeling as though things are never gonna change in his life. Scripture tells us that Jesus saw him, he knew about his condition, and now Jesus begins to approach this man. Check out what happens next. It says at the second half of verse six that Jesus comes to this man and Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? Now that's a weird question. Because if you were paralyzed, then everybody around could see that you were paralyzed, or I don't know if this is a politically correct term, but that you were crippled, you were unable to move, to walk, to take care of yourself. You needed help getting from here to there. If that was your condition and Jesus walked up to you and said, would you like to be made well? It seems like the obvious answer to that question is yes. I don't wanna be in this condition anymore, Jesus. But yet Jesus asked the question anyway. What a strange question. Why would Jesus ask that question? Have you ever met someone that was so happy being miserable that they would never be ha- that they would, excuse me, have you ever met someone who was so happy being miserable that they would be miserable being happy? Like some of you are like, I got family members like that. Some of you think about your workplace when I ask that question. Have you ever been around people who were so negative that even though your job paid well, you had good benefits and it was a short commute, you wanted to quit that job because you couldn't stand the negative people that you were always around every day? There's nothing worse than being around people who are happy being miserable. I don't wanna live a miserable life, but sometimes people who like being miserable have a way of making you miserable also. Has anybody noticed this, or is it just me? Like, I'm not kidding, I mean, my dad and I were joking about this. We've seen things even in our own family. Where it's like if a loved one passes away, we'll all gather at a funeral service and hug and cry it out and talk about how much we love each other. And then the very next day we're not speaking again because we're still mad about something that happened 20 years ago. (laughs) We're so happy being miserable that we couldn't possibly be happy any other way. It's crazy. And it seems like this happens all the time. Now, I told you that this is a specific instance of physical healing and a miraculous healing that this man needed. But listen... Many of us allow sickness or an ailment or an infirmity to become our identity. And if things were to change, we wouldn't know how or what to do with ourselves because we've only ever known ourselves to be this way. We start to identify ourselves according to what we lack, according to our sickness, according to the things that we don't have. We start to look at ourselves as lesser than and to take on any sort of identity is something that would be totally uncomfortable to us. See, when Jesus came to this man and said, do you want to be made well? I think that what Jesus was saying was, do you want to become healthy or are you more comfortable staying sick? Do you want to become healthy or are you more comfortable staying sick? If you were to read this in the King James, this is what it says in the King James. It says that Jesus approached this man and said, wilt thou be made whole? If we were to take that and put it in modern English terms, it was like Jesus was saying, will you be be healed? Will you be made whole again? And I take that and paraphrase it as if Jesus was saying, your healing isn't just up to me. It's also up to you. Now, a little bit more scripture to show to take us where we're going to go today, okay? Ephesians chapter 2. This is what the apostle Paul wrote about how it is that we access Our salvation. Remember, we said that it wasn't just salvation that was provided at the cross, but Jesus gave us a whole host of other benefits at the cross. Now, listen to this. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through, come on, for by grace you have been saved through, so we are saved because God extends grace To us, imagine God, God of the universe, the God of heavens reaching down and personally extending grace to us. What an amazing thing, but salvation hasn't been completed until we reach up and accept it through faith. It's the great exchange. God gives grace, we accept By faith, we reach out and we take what God has for us. Now, we say that that's how we access our salvation, but where does our healing, where does our health, where does our peace come from? It comes from the atonement at the cross. So when it comes to the healing that you might need in your physical body or in some other area of your life, how do you access it? The same way your salvation, you access it. It's given by grace, we receive it by faith. So in order for it to happen in our life, we can't just believe that Jesus said it's done and suddenly it's going to fall out of the sky. No, we have to reach out and grab it and go get it for ourselves because he's made it available to us. Everybody with me so far? Notice that Jesus does not look at him and say, would you like for me to heal you? Again, the obvious answer to that question would be yes. Would you like for me to heal you? Now, we don't know if there was more spoken here, but there was something that happened in this man's heart when Jesus approached him that led him to believe that Jesus could do something miraculous for him. Because as we go on, we see that he acted on something that was happening on the inside of him. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? I believe that Jesus wanted to see first if this man wanted health more than he wanted sickness. Because we can get so comfortable in our sickness that we're unwilling to do something uncomfortable to get our way out of it. And we see the rest of the story begin to play out that way. Now, I want to give you a personal example of how I've dealt with this in my life, okay? Because if I'm going to preach this to you, then I've got to preach it to me, all right? I remember a few years ago, about eight years ago, my wife and I had been married for probably a year, we went through a real difficult season, as a lot of newlyweds do, where, you know, you're figuring out married life. But God was really training us for the ministry future that he, and the calling future that he had for us. And we were both working full-time jobs, and we were both giving basically full-time hours to serving in our church, taking on a lot of responsibility. And I remember getting so weary and worn out that I got to this place where, like, physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, I was just worn down. I'll never forget, I I was out of town for a few days on a work trip, and we were driving back from Las Vegas on a work trip that I had been on for six days, and I was sitting in the backseat of my boss's car, just tired. I woke up that morning feeling short of breath. I wasn't feeling good. I didn't know what was going on. And I remember sitting in the backseat of my boss's car, and suddenly this emotion, this feeling, this pain overcame me, and I was suddenly short of breath, having pains in my chest, wondering what's going on. And I'm thinking, oh my God, am I about to have a heart attack in the backseat of this car? I didn't know what was happening, I didn't know why it was happening, but I remember freaking out and panicking and feeling like something's wrong with me and I'm not okay. And what I found out a few hours later was that everything was okay, but I found out that day what it really means and what it really feels like to have an anxiety or a panic attack. Let me tell you something, I used to think that panic attacks were for weak people and then it happened to me. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I can't talk about this without getting a little bit emotional because I remember laying my head down at night, being afraid to close my eyes and go to sleep because something inside of me was saying, if you go to sleep, your body's not gonna continue to breathe on its own. Feeling this overwhelming sense where my heart's just jumping out of my chest and a little bit of pain setting in, telling me something's wrong with me and not not everything's okay. I would wake up in the morning feeling tired and weary and worn out and I wanted to go back to sleep, but I couldn't because I was scared I wasn't gonna continue to breathe if I went back to sleep. I couldn't figure it out, I didn't didn't know what was happening. Never forget, after all that happened, the first time it happened, I ended up in an emergency room in the middle of the night with my wife and my family at three o'clock in the morning. And a doctor who was probably overstepping his boundaries just a little bit looked at me and he said, tell me about what's going on, what your schedule looks like, tell me what's happening in your life. And I began to lay out everything that was going on, my schedule, everything else. He's like, look man, we've run tests, we've done everything, your body's fine, physically you're okay, but I, I just gotta tell you that there's no good reason at 31 years old that you should be feeling this way and dealing with this kind of anxiety. He's like, but again, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, but if I was to be really honest with you, I gotta tell you that you need to learn a new word. And I said, what is it? He goes, you need to learn the word no and you need to say it a little bit more often. You just start saying no to a few things that aren't as important as your family and as your wife and other stuff. He's like, there are things that are triggering your anxiety and you're allowing it to happen. Over the course of a few days, I begin to understand and please hang with me for a minute because I know there are some of you that you deal with anxiety that's not triggered by anything. It just pops up for no good reason. I understand that, but I began to deal with this for a few days, and it was a spiritual thing. It was a physical thing. It was a mental thing as well, but we began to deal with it, and God brought some real healing to my life, and I remember a couple years down the road, I'd had a very, very stressful week, and we were about to go on vacation as a family, and I was very stressed out, and I was just worried, and I remember getting on an airplane, and I sat down on the window seat of my aisle, and suddenly this fear came over me. You know, how many of you are claustrophobic? (laughs) I've been on airplanes my whole life, and then suddenly in this one moment, I sit there and I'm like, I'm stuck in this tube for the next three hours, and if something goes wrong, I can't get out. (laughs) And it was more than just claustrophobia. It was a sense of fear and panic that set in, and I began to get those heart palpitations and that pain in my chest worrying about my next breath. And I remember sitting there in that very moment thinking, not just, hey, if I get off this plane, I'm not getting back on it to go on vacation with my family. I remember sitting there thinking, I thought i dealt with this. I thought I was past this. I thought I had conquered it. And right there in that moment, I realized that my wife doesn't deserve this, that my kids don't deserve this, and that God, but Jesus paid for this at the cross and I don't have to carry it with me. And I remember sitting there that day saying, the difference between me walking in anxiety and me walking without fear is all right here. Because Jesus paid the price. I gotta take the step of faith and say, everything's okay. Everything's gonna be all right. I'm gonna get through this. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. I know that that sounds easy, but it's a spiritual battle as well as a mental and a physical one as well. But a lot of us, even us as Christians, we accept salvation that Jesus provided for us at the cross, but we stop short of receiving everything else that he paid for as well. And God doesn't want you to deal with depression the rest of your life. God doesn't want you to deal with anxiety the rest of your life. He doesn't want you to wake up in the morning with fear, worried about what the day holds. He wants you to walk with health and boldness and confidence because he paid the price so that you can walk in freedom. That's who our God is, and that's what he did for us. Now I said earlier, this message isn't just about physical healing because I know a lot of us come from different backgrounds where we believe different things. I will say quite boldly right now, I believe that Jesus healed, he does heal, and he wants to bring health and wholeness into your life. We will always preach that message in this church on this platform. We always will. We believe that healing comes through the atonement at the cross. That's what we believe, unapologetically. But there are other kinds of sicknesses that we can accept in our life, and sometimes we don't even realize they're there. What about the sickness of broken relationships? There are some of us that live our life just accepting the fact that our relationships are messed up and we ain't gonna do anything to change it. We're just gonna complain to everybody else about how bad they are. We're gonna accept that sickness. We're gonna let that sickness take root in our heart. Scripture had a lot to say about this. Jesus said, if you don't forgive other people, it's hard to get God's forgiveness. That's heavy. When it comes to broken relationships, many of us aren't willing to forgive someone else who wronged us or apologize to someone that we might have wronged because we're more comfortable holding on to that sickness that is a broken relationship than doing something uncomfortable to make it change. We accept it in our life. We say, well, this is just the way it's always going to be. I don't want to live my life with broken relationships. I don't want to have these unhealthy friends and family members in in my life that I'm just sitting there accepting the way things have always been. I want to do my best to take a step of faith to see to it that those things change. There's some of you, as I talk about this thing with broken relationships right now, you can already in your mind identify people that you have a broken relationship with. And you're like, I don't go to them and ask for their forgiveness because I don't think they're going to forgive me. Can I tell you something? Faith is going to them and apologizing or asking for forgiveness even if they're unwilling to forgive you or accept your apology. But the only way that you can let go of it is going and doing the thing that you have control over. Because offense is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. It's only gonna kill you. Did everybody hear that? <laughs> offense is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. If you don't wanna live with that broken relationship, you gotta go and ask for forgiveness or extend the apology whether they accept it or receive it. That's what faith is. That's one kind of sickness a lot of us carry all of our lives. What about the sickness of loneliness? There are so many lonely people in our world today. I was reading uh, a thing the other day about how with social media, like all these different designers who created all these social media outlets and social media networks and companies, they thought, man, the world's going to become so much more social and so much more connective. And yet today, in this day and age, with so much connectivity, we are so much more lonely. And a lot of us, we accept loneliness thinking that God doesn't have anything better for us. We aren't willing to get outside of our comfort zone and engage the relationships that God wants to bring into our lives. Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man who has many friends must himself be friendly. If you're tired of loneliness, get out of your comfort zone, take a step of faith and see God open doors of friendship that you need in your life. Because you're not gonna wake up in the morning and suddenly have lots of friends when you didn't yesterday. The only way you make new friends is by getting up out of bed and say, today, I'm about to go make me some new friends. Take a step of faith. God honors faith. He extends grace to us. We have to reach out and grab it by faith. A lot of us live with the sickness, and this is a heavy one, of dependency or addiction. Now, some of you in this room, you know what that's like because you've been through it. Some of you in this room, you're going through it right now. Some of you in this room are in denial about the fact that it's got a stronghold or a foothold in your life. Some of you in this room have kids or grandkids or close friends or family members that are dealing with dependency and addiction issues in your life. You know what I learned? This is so interesting because I saw this with a lot of friends and people in my, in my world. I have noticed that there are many Christians who tell themselves, well, I don't have an issue with addiction or dependency. But every single time they find themselves emotionally worn out or worn down, the first thing they turn to is a bottle or a substance or a pill or some kind of drug that eases that comfort. And they might say, well, I don't need it every day or I don't need it every night. Let me tell you something. If it's the first thing that you go to to ease your pain and ease your comfort, you have a dependency issue. And you will allow that sickness to sink into your heart and the roots of it will go so deep and you'll keep telling yourself it's not a problem. Can I tell you something? Jesus didn't go to the cross so that you could have a dependency and addiction issues. He wants to provide healing. But the way we walk into healing is realizing that he provided it at the cross, we have to reach out and grab it by faith. What do you want more, the comfort of the thing that you're always running to in that vice, or health and wholeness in your body and in your relationships? What do we want more, the choice is up to us. And I recognize again, that's a heavy one, man. That's a heavy one, and I make it sound so simple, but the choice is in our hands. With God's help and our faith, he can bring about change in our life. What about this one? And this is a heavy one too. The sickness of lack or poverty mentality. I know a lot of you hear that and you're like, oh, he's about to go on some sort of rant about prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus went to the cross so that you would have the things that you need in this life. Jesus went to the cross so that we could look to him as our source. He would extend it to us by grace and we would reach out and accept it by faith. A lot of us live our lives thinking that God has called us to live some lesser than existence and that's not the case at all. Jesus died so that you could have everything you need in this life, not just to survive, but to thrive but we have to reach out and access it by faith. Now, we're almost to the end here. Verse seven, at the end of John five, it says this. The sick man answered Jesus. Remember, Jesus says, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered Jesus. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another person steps in front of me. I personally believe when I look at this part of the scripture, I believe that this man saw Jesus coming and thought that Jesus was going to come there and stand there and put him in the water when it stirred up. Because this man's healing was in the water, not in Jesus. Jesus wasn't just the guy who was there to help him get his healing. Jesus is the healer. And many of us as Christians, we look to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me find my healing. Jesus like, I am your healing. Get your faith off the medication. Get your faith off the doctors. Get your faith off all of the things that the world says is the cure. Put your faith in me, and I will walk you into your healing. We're not against doctors. We're not against medication. What we're saying is we believe putting our faith in Jesus will lead us into the very best of what he has for us. And suddenly this man is confronted with this thing of, can Jesus do something for me? Look at what happens next, verse eight, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked. Now watch this, notice, scripture never says that Jesus ever looked at this man and said, you are healed, it's okay to walk now. He never said that. He told him to rise, take up his bed and walk. This dude had been sick in this condition for 38 years. I wonder if he was insulted at the very idea of Jesus telling him to walk. Get up and walk. Walk? I don't know how to walk. It's been 38 years of this. I don't even know how to lift my leg to get into that position. There's no possible way I could stand up. Stand on my own two feet? That seems impossible. Take one step? No way. Take another step and begin a journey? Are you kidding me? Let alone pick up my bed while I'm doing it? This guy could have been so insulted at what Jesus said, but something happened in his heart that said, this guy's giving me a command to take action. Listen, healing and deliverance and everything that you need in life will always be available to you, but it's found on the other side of your steps of faith. And when you think about, when you think about everything that this guy needed, imagine the pain that might've gone through his mind. How much is this gonna hurt for me to stand up, pick up my mat and walk? How difficult is this gonna be? How how hard is it going to be for me to retrain my mind to think that I can do that? But in spite of how difficult the process might have been, he does it anyway. He takes a step of faith. He stands up, grabs his mat, and begins to walk. And after he acts, Scripture tells us that his healing had come. Now, I'm not saying that it was his faith that healed him. It was Jesus that healed him. But he never would have found out about what Jesus had for him had he not been willing to stand up, take his bed, and get to walking. There are a lot of us that are looking to God to move a mountain, and we're hoping that when we wake up in the morning, suddenly the mountain will be moved out of the way. God says, why don't you get up in the morning, put on your hiking boots, and start walking as if the mountain wasn't there. And a few steps down the road, you're going to discover that I've already moved things out of the way so that you can get to where I've called you to go. I'm totally over time. Two Sundays ago, Pastor Gary taught about praise and worship, and I was sitting in the front row, and I didn't know what else to do but just to bow my heart before God because I wanted to praise, I wanted to worship, but I just had a couple of really heavy burdens in my heart, and I'd been reading this passage of Scripture probably three weeks ago just thinking that maybe this was for today. I remember crying out to God two Sundays ago right down there on my knees with my hands in the air, and I said, God, I got a couple of real heavy things that are just sitting in my heart. Do you see what's going on? Do you know about this? Like, do you want to be involved? Do you want to do something about this? Do you want to bring change? And I swear to you, I felt the Holy Spirit just whisper to me, do you want to be made well? Because instantaneously, I already knew in my heart what the steps I needed to take were in order to see those things start to happen. A lot of us want God to move the mountain, but we've forgotten where our hiking boots are. I believe the word for some people today is stop asking God to move the mountain and go find those hiking boots, put them on, lace them up, and get to walking because you're going to find everything you need along the journey. (laughs) Finally, in closing this morning, last thing. I'm amazed in this story that this man laid by the pool of Bethesda, we don't know how long he was there, we don't know how often he came, but he laid there thinking that his healing was in the water. But by the time the story was over, he didn't even get his foot wet. Because his healing wasn't in the water. See, when, he, when Jesus came to him, he might have been thinking, Jesus is the helper who's going to get me to my healing. But Jesus was his healing. There's some of you that have been putting all of your faith, you've been laying by the pool, even though you're a believer in Christ, you've been laying by the pool saying, one of these days, God's gonna do the impossible, God's gonna do the miraculous. And what we don't realize is that Jesus is the healer, not just the helper who gets us to our healing. If we will put our faith in him, take our steps of action to see it all come to pass, we will find that Jesus has been waiting on the other side of that faith all along to give us exactly what we need. Get up, get up, You're battling depression, Take up your bed and walk. You're Battling sickness, take up your bed and walk. You got broken relationships, pick up the phone and ask for forgiveness. Take up your bed and walk. You got things that are holding you down, you got strongholds in your life. Jesus didn't go to the cross so that you could live with them forever. He already carried them 2,000 years ago. Take up your bed and walk. He has way more and way better for your life. Don't settle for less, don't stop at salvation. Go grab everything that he has for you. In Jesus' name. I'm so sorry, I've gone a long time today. Would you bow your heads? Father, I pray for every single person who's dealing with something that's impossible or difficult or challenging or uncomfortable today. I pray for the one who feels like nothing's gonna ever change. I pray for the one who's been wondering if you see and if you know everything that they're going through. I pray that this word and this message today would have been the very thing that they needed to know, that you see them, that you know what's going on, and you want to personally, actively, intimately be involved in their existence. God, there are some people here today, they know the steps they need to take, but they've been unwilling to take them because they consider the pain. They consider the discomfort. I pray that this word today and your Holy Spirit would be the encouragement that they need to take those steps of faith and step into all that you have for them. Jesus, we believe that you paid for our forgiveness and the atonement of our sins at the cross, but you also paid for so much more. And today we choose to not settle for less. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Finally, with heads bowed and eyes closed, just for one more moment, you might be here today and we talk about this idea of God seeing you and God knowing what's going on in your life. But you might say, Zach, I don't know God personally. I want to tell you, God loved you so much that while you and I were lost in our sins, he sent Jesus to this earth to pay the price for those sins. When we deserved his death, Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for us. Scripture tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's perfection. That in, but in God's great love and great mercy, he sent Jesus down and took on our sins so that we wouldn't have to pay the price. We're going to pray a prayer in just a moment. And I want to give everybody the opportunity to pray this prayer and make a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you've made a decision to follow Jesus before, but you know in your heart today that you're not right now. Can I encourage you to make a decision to get back on track with God because his plans for your life are way better than yours. We'll pray this prayer right out loud, and I want to ask everybody just to repeat it. We're not going to embarrass you or put you on the spot. Just repeat these words right out loud with heads bowed and eyes closed. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. Today I choose you as my Lord, as my Savior. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you were raised from the dead so that I could live eternally with you. I want your life. I want your salvation. So I choose to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer for the very first time or maybe you recommitted your life to Christ, please, we just have a couple minutes left in service. Hang tight till the end of service because this is so important. If you made a decision, we want to help you. This isn't the end of the road. This is simply the beginning of the journey. We have a simple tool and gift we want to put in your hand. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's a small book. There's two different ways that you can get it. Right after service, we have some prayer teams that are going to be right down here in front of the platform. Just walk up to one of these teams. Let them know today you made a decision to follow Jesus. You want to get the book. They'll give it to you. It's free. We don't need anything from you but we're happy to help in any way that we can to get you started in your walk with God. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, please stop by the next seven days desk between the glass doors outside before you exit the building. Let them know today you made a decision to follow Jesus. They'll be happy to give it to you. We don't need anything from you, but we're happy to help in any way that we possibly can. Thank you so much for making that decision today. Can we put our hands together and welcome people who made that decision? All right, finally, just two quick things this morning. Right now, we're gonna honor God by bringing our tithes and our offerings into his house. This is something that we do out of obedience and it's something that we do out of honor because God says, hey, put me first and see to it that you'll see that I'll take care of the rest. And I just wanna take a moment and I wanna say thank you to everybody else in this church who has generously contributed faithfully to see to it that we in this community are making a difference, but not only in this community, also through our partnerships around the world. There's a few different ways that you can give that are up on the screen, and I just again want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. If you believe that God is good, then we understand that he's called us to be generous in return. If God's been good to you, then we honor him and put him first in this area of our life. If you're a guest with us today, please know there's never any compulsion to give. If you'd like to contribute, I believe you're sowing into good ground today and that God will bless you for that. But again, thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Our ushers are coming right now to receive our tithes and our offerings. We're going to watch church news in a moment. Would you please hang tight till the end of service just to help out our ushers and our security team. God bless you. Let's watch church news.
1: welcome to the bridge my name is Nicole and I want to give you a very special welcome today we hope that you feel right at home this morning and that you and your family have a wonderful time with us there's always a lot happening at the bridge and we would love for you to be involved so here's a look at a few things coming up in the days ahead we hope you'll find your place and be a part of what God is doing here at the bridge Come and say hi. Our team would love to meet you and help you get connected in church life. They can also answer any questions that you might have about the church. For more general info and to stay up to date, please be sure to check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv. You can also stay plugged in by downloading the Bridge app. Just text the keywords "the Bridge Church app" to seven seven nine seven seven. Thanks again for spending your morning with us. We love spending
0: our Sundays with you. Hey, thanks so much for being here this morning. I hope that you enjoy being in church. Now listen, go out and enjoy the sunny first weekend of June. Go out by the pool, throw a barbecue or something. Have some friends over. Have an awesome day. Have a great week. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday.